Hello and welcome to Rewind Replay. Like I said, this is a brand new series that I am creating, and basically what you do is you suggest a movie and come on, it doesn't matter how old it is, we come on and talk about it pretty much, then I suggest a movie, then the two of us figure out a third film we want to talk about, and basically, like I said, this series is just kind of discussing old movies and stuff, what we like about it, what we dislike about it, giving grades if we want to and stuff. I mean, I'm still looking for people that want to talk about, like, video games and sports and stuff, because I don't want this podcast to just simply become Hayden's Entertainment for movies and old movies and stuff so anybody out there that honestly wants to come on the podcast and talk about anything else just reach out to me but I'm back with Brian Holbrooks today hi there and we're going to be talking about three new movies on Rewind Replay I believe two of them came out last year and one of them is clear from the 80s which is a way big trip back we are talking about A Quiet Place uh the uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and The Evil Dead. Yeah. So The Evil Dead is actually, like, the one that Brian suggested, and I was kind of like, oh, you know what? It's been a while since I've revisited The Evil Dead, and honestly, after rewatching it, eh, we'll get into that in a second, but, yeah, like, it's, it's eh. yeah. But, uh, for the most part, I guess we're gonna start off with A Quiet Place. I think this is the easiest one to talk about, because I've got good things to say about it, and some criticisms for John Krasinski, because yeah. this is his first directorial debut, but yes. with that being said, let us get into A Quiet Place. So like I said, the first film that we're talking about on Rewind Replay is A Quiet Place, and I saw this film about three times last year, and about every time that it came out after seeing it, I was like, you know, this is good for John Krasinski. You know, he's dipping into the director field and stuff, and like, this isn't a masterpiece. I would say this is a good film for him to kind of start off in the director field and stuff, and I like this film. I did rewatch it. I had a good time rewatching it and stuff. There's a lot I like. There's a couple things I nitpick and dislike that I think he could have done better, but Brian, this was the first time you had ever seen A Quiet Place, so I guess, what's your take on A Quiet Place? Uh, if anyone knows me, they know that I'm kind of a, a I'm kind of a horror buff. I wouldn't say that, but I, I'm I'm kind of a, a fan of horror. This was really good. I was I did not go in with high expectations, but I thought this was really good. Um, again, John Krasinski's directorial debut, which wasn't a horrible directorial uh, debut. Yeah, some of the camera work and uh, direction in the movie was weird, uh, but I thought the concept was really cool. Uh, and it's been, uh, kind of, uh, stolen and redone already by the Bird Box. Yeah. When Bird Box came out, all I could think of, uh, uh, was this is a quiet place, but basically you can't see anything. And, you know, honestly, Bird Box I don't like at all, and most people somewhat did, and I don't understand why. Yeah, that was kind of just an okay I'll have to bring someone on, and they'll defend it, I guess, later. But as of right now, I just really liked A Quiet Place because it was actually, like, kind of original for John Krasinski in a way, because this was a neat concept. You had a family that had to learn to basically live in peace and quiet if they made a sound, these creatures that are basically all ears would come and kill them and so what made this movie so good for me was the fact that it literally draws you in the first few scenes of the movie because literally when you're sitting in a theater watching this everybody is afraid to do anything people were afraid to open snacks chew popcorn drink they were literally afraid to make any noise because most of the movie is silent and the music in this movie does help at times because yes it does like the loud noises and stuff to like create jump scares which I don't usually like but here I was kind of like I mean it benefits the movie because it does it well in this yeah movie. it's a movie about sound but for the most part when watching this movie kind of not in theaters I kind of had the same reaction as in theaters like I was afraid to eat or do anything because you know everything's super quiet and like I said the first scene where they're in that store they're trying to look for the stuff to make one of the kids better and stuff and then the little little kid wants like the spaceship toy and he's going to turn it on and the the dad's like if you make any noise you could kill us all and 
one of the most brilliant things that John Krasinski did was he made them all communicate by sign language. Yes, because they have an actual deaf person mm-hmm. in the uh, in the movie who is the girl um, Melissa Simmons. Um, they have an actual deaf person, and she like kind of taught them the sign language for the movie, uh, and that was really cool. You don't really see that that often in movies, and of course they have to have it in this movie because of the of the sound. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I really in, uh, enjoyed that uh, whole idea because uh, sound isn't really as important in a movie until you realize how important in a movie it is. Yeah. Because uh, it's it's really kind of looked over. And I just wanted to say that the viewing experience I had for this movie uh, was with headphones on. And I think that really kind of boosted the experience. So I think this could be a really good movie to watch with uh, noise-canceling headphones. Because then it's like cre- it creates a better atmosphere for you. Yeah. And like I said, when I was watching this at first in theaters, everybody kind of had that moment where they didn't want to make a noise and stuff. But uh, back to the first scene and stuff, what really draws you in is when the little kid... He gets the batteries because the little sister like gives him the toy and all that and he sticks it in yeah. and then it makes a noise and then the music comes in and it's like a big suspenseful music and then you hear the creatures and John Krasinski's running to save them but it's too late and it draws you in because you realize that sound does play a major role in life and death yes. in this universe and so throughout the movie yes characters make dumb decisions they make loud noises and stuff and so the creatures roam around and they do survive a lot of bs scenarios but for the most part i was kind of fine with it i didn't really seem to care like the scenarios yeah. they got into um, I guess to continue with all the stuff that I did like, like I said, sound direction is amazing. I think that's one of the best things about the movie is that John Krasinski knew that the sound was going to play an important part because there are loud noises, there are silent noises, there are literally like high-pitched squeals and stuff, and I think it's brilliant in a way that the way the movie was able to amplify sound in this movie, but for the most part, the number one thing that I love about this movie is that the acting is actually genuine and great. Like, the little girl in this movie is a great actress. I Even though she's, like, deaf and stuff, I think she's got a great career in front of her. Uh, the little boy wasn't bat- half bad either. Like, he's he's kind of in that moment where he doesn't see the creature because it's just CGI. He's kind of looking the opposite direction. But other than that, I thought it was good. John Krasinski's great. When he's not doing Jim from The Office over and over again, which is, I'm sure that's a role he's tired of by now, but when he's actually doing his own thing and he actually gets a role where he can flesh his acting out more, he's actually a great actor. Emily Blunt's great in this movie as usual, too. Great actress. Love her. She was great Mary Poppins, don't get me wrong and stuff, but, like, she's just a phenomenal actress. I loved her more in Sicario, personally. I like her in a lot of other films, but it's nice to see her and her husband make a nice film here. Yeah. Um... And that is another thing, because the acting in this movie is kind of wholly reliant on uh, the face and uh, just more physical stuff, uh, instead of, like, uh, how the person speaks or something. Because um, in a lot of movies, you always have talking. There's not a lot of talking in this movie, like, ever until they get to, like, the waterfall. Yeah. Or they have loud noises going on. Yeah. And a lot of people have had complaints with the waterfall scene. They're kind of like, well, why wouldn't they just move closer towards the waterfall? Well, the thing about that theory is Emily Blunt's pregnant in this movie, and they already have, like, this whole thing set up for how she can have the baby and, like, distract the creatures and stuff. And this movie doesn't have a ton of creatures. There's only, like, three in the area that they say they've spotted. And so... Uh, three confirmed, possibly more. Yeah. And what I like about this movie is it's not like an overabundance of these creatures everywhere and stuff. It's just three that they have to survive and stuff. And I like the way that they kind of set up this plan that they have for Emily Blunt when the baby does come. I think that's all really 
well done. Um, especially the fireworks scene, where, like, when they pull the fireworks and John Krasinski's running, the music's, like, it literally amplifies the scene to make yeah. it more intense. And then, uh, right as she's having the baby, she, like, screams and the firework explodes. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of great editing in this movie. There's a lot of great sound to amplify the scenes and stuff, like I've said before. But I guess now I kind of want to get into my complaints with it a little bit, because there are some things that I was just kind of, like, yeah on. So, I'm gonna... This is kind of a controversial take, but... I like when John Krasinski sacrifices himself in the movie. Like, honestly, I think that's a great yeah, scene. Yeah, I really like that scene. But part of me thinks he could have gotten out of that scenario. Because there is that moment where you kind of wonder, why did he go off the trail to get that axe, and then he stepped on a branch or something, and the creature's up there. Because part of me thinks if they're on the sand, they might be safe. Like, he didn't have to go off and get the axe. Well, what it was was he was just trying to... Uh, kill the creature and like protect everyone and he fell in it I know but to me it just kind of felt like he didn't have to go off trail to grab the axe because no, I was, didn't have to no and it, I just thought because the creature didn't know they were on the sand it had no clue where they were it was just like trying to listen and the sand obviously what limits the footprints and stuff and so I felt like that scene was almost kind of like not dumb but it just kind of felt like a waste in a way even though I do like the sacrifice John Krasinski gives but he didn't have to go off the trail in a sense then at the ending, where they finally confront the creature with the high-pitched noise, yeah. and you realize that it's like this, I would say, it's almost like... Hearing aid. Yeah, hearing aid, but like it's, amplified, like a, it's like an amplified hearing aid. They do something yeah, to I it. Think, uh, maybe it's like a cochlear implant or something? Yeah, it's a cochlear implant, and they place it on the microphone, and it makes the ears of the creature like expand, yes, and then it's... Because, yeah. like, I guess the creatures... Uh, it's, I guess they kind of have uh, kind of like a frequency thing in their ears, yeah. as well as regular hearing. So whenever they're, like, searching for uh, audio, uh, her little cochlear implant starts to ring. So she realizes that, puts it to the mic, basically makes the thing go insane, and then it, like, passes out. And then when it comes back up, she does it again, and uh, Emily Blunt just shoots the thing in the head. And it's yeah. a pretty cool scene. But my biggest issue with that discovery is that you're... Because this universe was very good at setting up, like, a serious tone and stuff. Like, there are smart people in this universe, but... The military couldn't figure out it was a frequency. The government couldn't figure out it was a frequency. You're telling me there's smart people out there that couldn't figure out it was a frequency. See, that's what takes me out a little bit, is that there's all of these different, like, smart people in the world that are able to, like, figure out cures and stuff, and they're able to figure out ways to stop enemies and war and all that, but you're telling me they couldn't figure out a simple frequency. See, that's what takes me out of the movie a little yeah. bit, because you feel like that's what really could have been... Like, the savior thing. Like, the military dies and they're like, look for frequencies to take out the creatures before it's all wiped out and stuff. And, like, that would have helped them at the end. But the fact that it takes a little girl and her mom to discover it and not this military of people and stuff just kind of takes me out of the movie a little bit. Yeah, I, I didn't really think about that, I guess. it. it uh, your complaint does make sense. Um, and I guess that's just something I never really uh, addressed when I was uh, kind of thinking about the movie after I watched it. Mm -hmm. Um... But other than that, I think everything was, like, pretty cool. It's pretty, pretty fun. Smart. So do you, like, because I gave two personal complaints, do you have any, like, personal complaints with the movie? Not really. Like, I thought uh, that some of the camera work was kind of weird. Mm -hmm. um, the thing with the little kid and the batteries in the spaceship really could have been avoided. It could have been, because the little girl does give it to him, and he ends up dying, and it's like a plot device for she, why she feels bad the entire she time. She gives him the spaceship, uh, expecting him to just keep the spaceship, but no, he grabs the batteries, 
and puts them in, and then, like, once they're really cl- they're, like, at that bridge, and they're really close, he starts playing with it, makes noise, and you can just see, like, the fear and terror in everyone's faces mm-hmm. when they realize what's happening. Yeah, and I will admit, while there are moments like that and stuff, like, they, the little girl and boy also fall into a grain silo, <laughs> yeah. and a piece of the door comes off, and then, like, the creature hops on it, and they don't sink because it acts as, like, a weight, I guess, thing, or in a way, but a lot of people complained online and were debating for a little while, shouldn't they sink into it, and then you had all these people throwing in scientific facts, like, no, they shouldn't sink because all this, and I didn't really want to bring that up because I don't even know if you'd sink in that way, but, like... I think it's kind of like the whole, um... <laughs> I think it's kind of like the Titanic thing. Yeah, kind of. But, like, it's just weird. This movie has sparked a lot of debates. Like, when it got an Oscar nomination for sound editing, that was actually a good nomination. But it didn't get nominated for anybody uh, anything else. Like, some people were like, maybe cinematography. But then I can see where you're coming from because yeah. it's not the best shot movie on the planet and stuff. Yeah. But for the most part, I did have a fun time watching this movie. And I believe the first time I watched it, I gave it a 7 I'd probably leave it at a 7 because while John Krasinski did make a good film, he made an above-average great film here, I do think that there's a lot of things he could do to improve. Like you pointed out, the cinematography could be better. I didn't like some of the choices he made towards the ending and certain characters in the movie, how they got axed. But for the most part, that was just my complaints. I guess your synopsis? Uh, Yeah, I really liked it. I really liked um, most of the movie throughout. Um, The one scene that really uh, got me kind of like to cringe was when she stepped on the nail. Oh, yeah. That... That scene really got me to cringe, and it also reminded me of Home Alone. <laughs> so I was like, I was just like, oh, this is like Home Alone, but it's also like, oh my God, she stepped on a freaking nail. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really liked uh, like that kind of suspense, and then John Krasinski sacrificing himself. I actually didn't mind that. I thought it was a really cool scene because he's like yelling at the top of his lungs just to save his family, and it's a really emotional scene, uh, just to show like what lengths a dad would go to to protect his uh, yeah. kids, I guess. Um, but all of that, I think I would just also give this film, like, a 7 out of 10. You know, that's, that's a pretty fair complaint, in my opinion, because, like, you do kind of think at moments like that, why would a movie go for, like, the trope of, like, somebody steps on a nail and they can't scream or anything yeah. and the creature's around the corner, but maybe John Krasinski just thought, you know, this is the best way to kind of make the movie and it's the best way to kind of, like, get across the message that I want about family and how family can still stick together even in dark times. But I think the sevens are kind of warranted. If you feel different, be sure to tell me how I was wrong in some way. But anyways, you got anything else to say about A Quiet Place? Uh, No, but I did just want to mention that someone's horn was going off because I guess someone tried to break into a car or something, so that's why you heard that. Oh. (laughs) Um, Anyways, yeah, so for the most part, that's pretty much all we have to say about A Quiet Place. Now we shall move into Bruce Campbell's and Sam Raimi, the Spider-Man guys, uh, The Evil Dead. So the next film on the agenda is The Evil Dead, or Evil Dead, I guess. Some people call it The Evil Dead, some people call it The Evil Dead, some people just call it Evil Dead. I don't really know what it's called anymore, because there's Ash vs. The Evil Dead, the TV show, then there's The Evil Dead remake in 2013, there's the other Ash films that have come out and stuff, but for the most part, I'm just gonna call it The Evil Dead. If you got a problem with that, hit me up, just let me know how I'm wrong about that, but... This was kind of Sam Raimi's big breakout film because yeah, movie, and this was what films. really got people to respect him as a horror director, especially me. I think he's a great horror director. He's great at building like suspense and just really yeah. skin crawling moments in most of his horror movies. Like even Crawl, a movie that's not made by him, you can tell he had like a Sam Raimi mannerisms in there, like making the creature always linger in the background and the way that he made gore ever apparent in the movie and stuff. So like I like Sam Raimi as a director. 
Spider-Man wise, I mean, he had one good shot, but for the most part, it just kind of felt like Sam Raimi was destined to make horror films and stuff, and honestly, I think that this guy did really good with The Evil Dead, I, however, after re-watching it, I don't really like it as much as I did originally, and I don't know why, because usually I do like re-watching old films, I think that they're pretty good and still hold up, but this one, just, I don't know, for some reason I wasn't vibing with it, so I guess, what did you think of Evil Dead? Uh, I, um... I think my opinion on this movie was, uh, at first, when I, uh, gave out my opinion after I initially reviewed it, it was pretty, like, controversial, because people were like, oh, really? You gave it that rating? That's, like, a classic movie, and everyone loves that movie. But even now you're saying it's not as good as you, like, had once thought Well, the thing about it is, when I rewatch it, I just always think of how, like, the TV show has kind of expanded on Ash and made him better, and, like, the remake that I watched is not as good as this one, obviously, but, like, it at least has stuff in it that makes it interesting. I like Army of Darkness a little bit better, personally. That's the third one? Yeah, the third one, I think. I haven't seen the sequels. I've seen a little bit of Ash vs. the Evil Dead. I do know that the sequels get really silly, and I... They do get silly, but that's kind of, like, what I wanted in a sense. With I like, think the whole point of the Evil Dead series is to be kind of, like, campy, silly. Yeah, and this film, it it doesn't do that exactly. It kind of does sometimes, in sometimes, yeah. nearly as much as because, it does later on. Because, you know, when I re-watch, was uh, about to rewatch this, I was like, alright, I'm ready for, like, the fun hijinks of Ashley going around and just trying to kill all of these evil demons and stuff. Yeah. And then, like, I watch it and I'm like, oh, that's right, this movie is more, like, serious and stuff. And, you know, yeah. re-watching it, I was never bored with it. I'm always on the edge of my seat because Sam He's so good at dragging you into his horror movies, but just, you know, going through it and stuff, I was just kind of like, I don't know on this one. Like, I I feel like I'm not going to like it that much. And, you know, at the ending, I was like, you know, it's satisfying, but it's just, I don't know why I didn't like it this time around. So I, I should mention that the original concept for this movie was uh, a film called Within, or a, not a film, uh, like a short film that Sam Raimi did called Within the Woods, which also featured Bruce Campbell, but this time he was one of the, like, the deadite things. Yeah. Like, the zombie, like, type things that were, was attacking everybody. So he was, like, doing, like, pratfalls and everything as, like, the evil, like, creature thing attacking people. And, uh, that would have been a cool concept, but it really would not have gotten, like, as famous as it does now. Yeah. So, I'm gonna go ahead and go through the cast, if you don't mind, which, it's not a star-studded cast. No. There's, there's only one person here, uh, in the cast who's notable, and everyone else is like, who? <laughs> uh, yeah, Uh, much. so, uh, Bubba Hotep himself, Bruce Campbell, uh, is Ash, Ashley Williams, <laughs> he just goes by Ash, uh, through most of the, um, rest of the series. Then there's Ellen Sandweiss. Which is, uh, he, she plays his sister, Cheryl Williams, in the movie. Uh, and then there's, um, Betsy Baker. Yeah. Uh, she plays Linda, who is his love interest. Um, and then there's Richard Demanicor, or something like that. Yeah. I, t- I honestly do not, it's a weird name. Uh, he plays Scotty, uh, who is kind of like, the, he's the friend, he's kind of like, um, he can be a bit of a douche sometimes in the movie, mm-hmm. but he's like the, uh, He's the one that drove them, even though it was Ash's car. Um, yeah, the the cat, the acting wasn't great, but again, these are like people who are like fresh out of college. The, what I kind of like about this movie is the '80s. Just acting is yeah. always a thing for me that I've always enjoyed. So I kind of like the acting, even if it's not the greatest ten out of ten oh, acting. Yeah. I do appreciate the cheesiness of it. Um, because there's, like, that one scene where, where they're still driving up, and uh, Ash says, uh, they're talking about the cabin, and Ash says, oh, it might not be that bad, and his girlfriend's like, 
yeah, or no. And then he's like, it might be pretty good. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, that was horrible. Because that was so, like, dry and plain. I get what they were going for, but... <laughs> um, obviously, it's not going to be the greatest film in the world because they're, they're college, like, students. This is the first film Sam Raimi's ever made. They did it on, like, a budget of 350000 or 400000 or something like that, which... I don't know if you keep it in tabs, but this isn't, like, uh, feature film uh, budget levels right here. This is, like, uh, Halloween 1978 levels of budget. Yeah. And what I really think about this movie that just kind of makes me love rewatching it is the fact that, like, the gore and just the horror-building elements yeah. are what drag you in. Like, this movie... It got an NC-17 rating for a while, and I think yeah. now it's still that, but maybe it's R now in America, I don't know. But, like, the gore is ever apparent in this movie and was something completely different that you'd never seen before because, like, the creatures are bleeding out of their eyes. They're literally, <laughs> skin is melting off. Like, just, it's weird in a sense yeah. because you don't expect this much gore for a movie like this and then you see it because like Bruce Campbell gets blood dripped on him like constantly in the movie and stuff when he's running around and like yeah. the creatures at the doors and stuff he's like trying to smash their hands and like blood's coming out and stuff it's just the moldy faces of the demons look awful and stuff just like it's yeah. such good costume makeup and gore it's just like this is what Sam Raimi is good at mastering. He's good at making these gory films that build suspense and horror. And I guess the one thing in his films that I don't like is when he doesn't go anywhere with his gore. Because while this movie does go in a direction with it, like, it's very gory for a reason and stuff, most of his later films, it just kind of felt like the gore is not there for any sole reason. But I guess your take? Uh... My main issue with it is, again, I know it's a low budget, it's not great, is it just doesn't look that good, in my opinion. I think it looks fine. It I mean, looks, like, the animation... It animat looks good for a low budget, it just doesn't look that good. Like, um, I feel like there's other, um, low budget films that kind of landed that better, maybe? Yeah. But again, this is, again, it's, he's fresh uh, out of college, or maybe he's still in college, I don't remember. Uh, so it's kind of his directorial debut, and I think it got, like, 2.4 million at the box office, which is pretty did, good for 350000 Yeah, and the while it does have a small budget, I think that's one of the things I appreciate, uh, appreciate about it is because he was able to create something out of nothing with this budget, yep. and he was able to make a name for himself and all that. And, like, yeah, the animatronics have not aged well. It looks really fake. But, like, I don't go into a movie going, oh, man, this looks fake and awful, because, oh, like, yeah. I just go in respecting what the movie is. And, like, if there's something that doesn't hold up, yeah, I'll point it out. But for the most part... I just had a good time watching some gore, even yeah. if, like, the gore at times felt like it wasn't going anywhere until the ending when it does matter, and then, There's like, yeah. The, the kind of, some of the gore at the ending is kind of uh, weird, and it's it's stop-motion animation, that's what it is. Yeah, it's, um, it's actually pretty decent stop-motion animation. It's pretty good, Yeah. Uh, but you, you can um, really tell that it was just some, like, guy who was um, doing this, like, out of his basement or something. Um, <laughs> uh... Yeah, so it's it's kind of a weird film. It's got good qualities. Um, I I want to mention another thing about the movie. Um, so Sam Raimi got taken to court uh, in the UK over this movie, over a certain scene in this movie. Yeah, this has been the one for a while that I'm just like, look, it's an old film. It yeah. came out in the so old day. I I'm 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 not I'm not gonna get up. Uh, in arms about it or anything, because I don't care, but there's, um, the, the scene that he got taken to court for, 
uh, pretty much is the tree rape scene because there's um, the characters like it's 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 Ash's sister in the movie. Um, she goes into the woods because she keeps hearing like a voice, and then she gets like attacked by the trees, held down, and basically raped by the trees. Um, and of course, there were people who were against that, but. Uh, and Sam Raimi came out saying he would never do something like that again. He regrets it. But it's it's not a horrible scene. If you don't like it, just, just I guess, like, fast forward, I guess. Or don't watch I it. Know. And that's the issue with some of these older films. It's like, yes, there's stuff made back then that, like, isn't very good to put in a movie nowadays. But, like, if you're going to go back and rip on an old movie for a scene it had... Yeah. Just stop. Because, like, Toy Story 2 had this problem, I guess. I don't know if you heard about this, but no. there's a deleted scene on the Toy Story 2, like, DVD box where, like, Stinky Pete is talking to some Barbie dolls, I guess, and he's like, you know, girls, if you do me some favors, I can get you a uh, part in Toy I, Story I 2. I not know that. Yeah, and it's, like, a funny little, you know, because, like, Harvey Weinstein got in trouble and all that, and so nowadays you yeah. think, oh, that's funny because it's, like, representing all that, but that got taken off the box, I guess, and stuff. Disney removed it entirely because they're like, oh, we don't want to offend anyone, and that's my fear with Sam Raimi is at some point he's going to be like, you know what, I'll just take out the scene altogether. Yeah, I don't think Sam Raimi ever would. I hope he doesn't, but I feel like with media push... In That's today's, kind of an integral part to the movie. I know, but with like today's media push, I feel like at some point he's going to have to take it out. No, it's not uh, so widely talked about anymore. It was more controversial back then when he got taken to freaking court for it because everyone knows the UK wants to ban anything uh, having to do with... Um, joy <laughs> I, don't, I don't know but to me it just is like if you're gonna remove something old just because you're offended by it why watch the movie in the first place why even yeah. like try to even enjoy the film in the first place if all you're gonna do is bicker about how this one scene offended you yeah. just get through the movie it's old there's no movie that's gonna come out with anything like that nowadays but like just appreciate the movie for what it was is all I'm gonna say yeah uh, and um, one thing this movie does have a lot of is blood Oh, yeah. A lot. Like, there's the scene where he's, like, walking in the, um, basement of the, the cabin, which, um, oh, fun fact about the cabin, uh, when they got there to, like, film, it was just filled with cow shit. Yeah. So they had to clean it out. Um, there's no mirrors, by the way. Yeah. Or windows, I mean. They have to, um, whenever there was a scene that involved a window breaking, they would put the windows in, uh, just for them to break. But the rest of the movie, there's, like, no windows in any of the... <laughs> like, it's it's kind of funny how low budget they went with this. Yeah. I like the demon voices, too, in this movie that they kind of do to, like, yeah. bring in that creepiness. Sam Raimi's always been good at bringing in horrible, like, blood-curdling voices and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And this movie's very good because what's coming out of those uh, makeup-induced people is just... It's terrifying, and that's great. Um... But I guess to be kind of done with praises, the things that I didn't really like rewatching it is that it's got such a weird mix of tone because you can tell at times it wants to go for like the newer Ash Williams where it's like a fun, campy horror universe that you can play yep. around in. And then it just restricts itself to like, no, we're building tension here. And like, it just felt like it didn't balance that well. The camera work, even though it is small and budget, could be a lot better. There's a lot of weird zoom ins and stuff, and it just gets a little <laughs> weird at times. And I I'm think just. That's um, kind of the point, like, there's that one scene where he closes the door, and then he turns, and, like, the camera's right up in his face, and you can see, like, the shadow, and he's, like, like that really serious look on his yeah. face. Um, I kind of liked that scene, because it's, it's kind of funny, but <laughs> it's kind of campy, too. And in the movie, Bruce Campbell is, like, doing a lot of, like, comedic, like, yeah. a physical comedy, like the Pratt Falls and stuff like that. And, um, 
I believe uh, in interviews, like pe- uh, he said that like those were his favorite parts of the movie. Yeah, just doing all those falls and stuff. <laughs> uh, the music's good in this movie. I guess I forgot about that. But then, like, the other stuff that I didn't like is uh, what it all builds up towards at the ending, like, with that book just needing to get burned and all the deeds yeah. go away. I'm like, oh, okay, so that's all he had to do. Why didn't you think of that first? The but, like, yeah, and I was just kind of like, okay, well, it, it's an okay payoff, I guess. I don't mind it. And then, like, the movie just ends with him kind of going outside and being like, well, that was something. Uh, it, it ends with a, um, uh, a scene with the freaking the camera like going through the barn and then going through the cabin and uh, going up to Ash which apparently was filmed by Sam Raimi like riding his uh, bike mm-hmm. through like um, each of them uh, and then riding it up to uh, Bruce Campbell which is it's kind of funny thinking of that and it's it's an interesting scene because he turns around and like screams yeah I can't really think of anything else I didn't like I guess you if you got anything to add no it's just um it's good for its time. Uh, it's definitely a change um, from what other films were at the time, because at that time, that was the, the big slasher genre mm-hmm. era of films. Uh, Friday the 13th, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, and then even worse spinoffs of those series that aren't that great anyways. Uh, not spinoffs, but like uh, copies. So the, it, was a, it was a nice change of pace at the time. A lot of uh, people would probably agree. Um, I guess my rating on the movie is still a 6 out of 10, though. Yeah. I don't know. I'm between a 6 or a 7 right now. It'll probably land on one of the two later, but I'm between that right now for this movie because I don't hate it enough to give it a 6, but I don't love it enough to give it a 7, and I don't want to do point fives. I hate point fives. They're the worst thing in the world. But, like, Coward. well, it's just, like, IGN does point fives for no reason. I'm like, wait, because they do, like, 8.13. I'm like... That is beyond retarded. And no, I'm just doing like, like a 0.13, that's not... No. Or just doing like an 8.3 and 8.4, I'm like, where no. do the points come from? It's just, it's <laughs> odd. I, I don't know. I'll figure out eventually, maybe I'll say what my final rating is like on the next Rewind Replay. But as of right now, I guess that's all we really have to say about The Evil Dead. Yeah, it's... Uh, it can be a fun film to talk about. It's just kind of a film where after I watch it, I don't remember anything except for the bad acting and Bruce Campbell. <laughs> I guess that's fair. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much all we have to say about The Evil Dead. We shall now move into the third and final film, and that is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Alright, let's do this one last time. So, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I loved this film when it first came out. It was my fourth favorite film of last year. This is a movie that is a big love letter to Spider-Man and why people love Spider-Man as a character. And this is universally loved by most Spider-Man fans. There are the few that think it's cringy and weird for some reason. I don't really understand why because, like, this is the Spider-Man ultimate movie, basically. This is the biggest love letter you'll ever have to Spider-Man. The Raimi films do not, like, have this much love towards Spider-Man. The Amazing Spider-Man films don't have this much love. The new (laughs) Spider-Man films don't have this much love. This literally... This Sony product that came out, like, two months after Venom, which is a disgrace of a film, (laughs) is literally better than any other Spider-Man property that's come out. And I know that's a very controversial take, but it just is. It's a love letter to Spider-Man. It's the best Spider-Man movie in years. It's just, this was such a fun ride of a movie. It was just so much fun to watch everything about Spider-Man 
pop in front of you. Miles Morales finally got his big movie. He finally got his yeah. representation in the Spider-Man universe or whatever. But I love this film to death. Brian, your thoughts after rewatching it? God, I love this movie so much. Uh, the animation's beautiful. Oh, this is gorgeous the animation. Book, the comic book style of animation. Oh my god. Yeah, it's so, so great. Yeah. This was up for Best Animation at the Oscars, and my little brother Garrett was just going crazy about how, like, oh no, The Incredibles 2 is going to win it. It's going to no. win it by far. And I was like, there is no way they give it to The Incredibles 2. And of course, it ended up going to Spider-Verse, and he's like, I'm going to have to see this movie sometime to see if the animation's any good. And he ended up watching it, and he liked it, but he said the animation was not that great. And I'm like, oh, come on. But I, I think it was great that this movie won Best Animation, and this movie is also made by Phil Lord and Chris Miller. These two are great directors. They made the first Lego movie. They made both of the Jump Street oh, films. They did? Yeah, they made Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 1. They have been making great animated films and great comedic films um, ever since basically they got out of college. And the best thing about it is they were destined to make the solo A Star Wars Story movie, but were cast out by Disney because of creative differences. And they end up coming back and slapping Disney in their own face of, like, what they do best, the animation, yeah. and going, doesn't it suck that you don't have us now? And I think <laughs> that's great that they got their revenge in the end. But, yeah. like you said, the animation in this film is gorgeous. Oh God, it's so great. It is, because it blends so many different styles. I guess you're a bigger animation guru than I am, so just go over what's great about the animation. The... Oh, you gonna put me on the spot now? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, see, it doesn't... Um, I can't say it doesn't look like anything I've seen before because it does, mm -hmm. but it just does it differently. Yeah. Um, they throw in the every now and then during a scene, uh, they'll just throw in like a um, one like frame where it's um, like an actual like comic book style drawing. Yeah. And then it goes back to the regular animation. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this is like mostly hand-drawn animation. It's a lot of CG and hand-drawn mix. Okay, so it kind of pulls an Iron Giant here, because the Iron Giant has a lot, has the Iron Giant as CG, and then they do throw in some hand animation, mm -hmm. hand-drawn animation. I freaking love hand-drawn animation. Don't get me wrong, CG, amazing. Um, but hand-drawn animation is such a special thing to me, because it's just, uh, it just takes a lot more love, in my opinion, for a hand-drawn animation. Uh, which is why Disney's kind of stopped doing it, because it just, they just... It doesn't turn profit anymore, yeah. I guess I should say. It's a lot harder to do, because you have to do it really well. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm just going to go through the cast real quick. Oh yeah, go through the cast. This is a great cast. Um, Jake Johnson plays Peter B. Parker, um, which is the uh, Earth-616 Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, so he's basically like kind of a washed-up old Spider-Man doesn't really do a lot anymore. He's, like, uh, over... He's... Yeah, he's overweight. Um, Basically, he's kind of done with the whole Spider-Man yeah. thing. He doesn't understand why he should do it anymore because Mary Jane doesn't like him anymore because he was afraid to have kids and move on with her and stuff. Yeah. And so now he kind of lives in, like, shame and all that, and he's just fine kind of sitting around getting yes. fat. He just kind of wants to die, in a way, because he's tired of, like, going around swinging and doing the same thing. Then he ends up finding Miles Morales. He's, he's depressed. <laughs> yeah, he's very depressed. He ends up finding Miles Morales, and he's, like, trying to teach him, basically, but at the same time, he's like, I just want out of here. I want to go back to my dimension. He doesn't want to teach him at first. Yeah. Uh, so, real quick, I should mention that Chris Pine plays the young, like, uh, active Spider-Man uh, from Miles' universe who dies. Yeah. Um, and then there's Shameik Moore, who plays Miles Morales, or uh, I believe he's, like, the ultimate Spider-Man yeah. in the comics. Uh, Haley Steinfeld plays Gwen Stacy, or Spider-Woman. Uh, really good. 
Or Spider Gwen. Spider Gwen, Spider-Gwen, yeah. Gwen. Uh, really good in that role. Uh, Mahershala Ali plays Uncle Aaron, who is like, uh, he's, he's a villain, but at the same time, he's like a, um, he's kind of like someone that Miles looks up to, or looks up to, because he, um, has kind of like a no-care yeah. living style. Um, John Mulaney plays Spider-Ham. Um, don't get me wrong, John Mulaney's funny, but I, I'm not a major fan of him. He was pretty good in this role, though. Yeah. Um, Brian Tyree Henry plays Miles' dad. Uh, he's like a cop, basically. Um, pretty Brian, much comedic relief, is yeah. what I'd say. Brian Tyree Henry, he was in, um, Get Out, wasn't he? Yeah. Yes. Well, he's, he was also in Child's Play and all that, and this guy is actually yeah. a really good actor, and I like his character in this film in particular because, while he has comedic relief, he also is, like, a great motivation for why Miles should continue to do Spider-Man yes. stuff. I like that, but continue. <laughs> like, there's a scene where he, like, hugs him, because mm-hmm. uh, uh, and he doesn't know that's his son. Uh, Nick Cage plays Spider-Noir, so this is, like, his second time playing a comic book character. Because he played um, Ghost Rider, but we don't talk about that. <laughs> uh, Kamiko Glenn plays Penny Parker. Uh, kind of like the anime-style um, Spider-Man thing. Uh, it's kind of weird, but I understand why they would put it in there for more representation. And a lot of people do like her. Um, Lee Schreiber? Schreiber? Yeah, Lee Schreiber. Uh, plays Fisk or... Um, Kingpin. Kingpin. Uh, really good in the role. He gets like that accent down... Um, and you can tell he kind of put himself into the role, and it's, it's really good. Yeah. Kathry uh, Hahn plays, yeah. uh, plays Olivia Liv Octavius, which, um, it's a good, she's a good villain. Yeah. She's a pretty good villain. And I should also mention that, uh, uh Jorm from, um, the Lonely Island plays the Green Goblin in this movie, uh, and he's only, like, uh, a parent in, like, the first part of the movie. Yeah. And yeah, so it's pretty. It's a pretty uh, good cast, and I should also mention the soundtrack's pretty good. It's like a hip hop yeah. uh, soundtrack. It's I like, pretty good. I like Sunflower for the most part. When Post Malone comes in, I'm just like, nope, I'm done with this song because I'm not a huge Post Malone guy. But That's like, fair. there's a lot of great music in this movie too. Yeah. I think that the soundtrack does help it in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, so now to get into this movie overall. So first off, I wasn't ever sure if Miles Morales was going to get his big debut on screen and stuff. I was like, I I just think they're going to go with Peter Parker over and over again. And the MCU was never, like, pointing out the fact, yeah, we're going to introduce him at some point. So I was like, well, there was the part in Homecoming where um, Childish Gambino is not in it, and he's Aaron. He's Uncle Aaron. I know, but... That, they don't, like, hint to the fact, like, yeah, I've got well, a kid yeah, and all that. And, like, because they're milking the train with Tom Holland right now, so yeah. it'll probably be a few years. But I was like, I can't wait that long to see Miles Morales in a movie. And then finally Sony announced that they were doing Spider-Verse. And I was like, all right, well, maybe it'll, it'll be good if they can do a Miles Morales movie. <laughs> it turns out he's, like, the main character and he's really good. Yeah, and, like, <laughs> my biggest fear was that because after I had seen Venom, I was like, oh, no, Sony's going to screw it up with Miles Morales. But... This movie is very good at putting Miles Morales into the Spider-Man character because he's a cool kid and all that. Like, he's oh, everybody yeah. likes him and stuff. He's very witty. He's great at being intelligent, <laughs> yeah. even though he wants to play dumb half the time. And I like the fact that once he does get the powers, he's nervous, he's scared, he doesn't know what to do. And, like, he's going to look for his Uncle Aaron, but his Uncle Aaron's kind of hunting him down at the same time. He doesn't <laughs> yeah. know about that. And, like... He needs teaching and guidance, and so when Peter B. Parker comes and is like, I don't really want to teach you, and then he's kind of like half teaching him, half doesn't care, he's still in that moment where he's like, 
I want to be the hero that the city needs me to be, but the, nobody wants to help me out in a way. The overarching theme of the movie is great expectations. Yeah, great power has great expectations, and Miles feels like he can't live up yeah, to those like expectations. Yeah, he does that freaking art thing in the uh, tunnel, or whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a freaking outline of him with expectations around him, and like, yeah, that's kind of a generic Spider-Man plot device, but I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, I think a complaint people had about this movie was a lot of people wanted Donald Glover to be Miles. I uh, see that doesn't work. Cause yeah, he's... that doesn't work because he's like he's doing a lot more serious stuff now. Well, I like Shamik more in this movie. As oh yeah, Miles. he's really he's good. really good in this movie. But anyways, kind of back to the Miles thing. Yeah. Go what ahead. I like about the character in particular is the fact that like once he finally does get the help and all that, he doesn't just instantly become the hero because. Once Kingpin brings all of the goons, like you said, uh, Liv Octavius, uh, Scorpion, uh, Tombstone, like everybody comes <laughs> yeah. into the house. There's some that like aren't that well known. Yeah, the, this movie's good at bringing in some of the, like non well known Spider Man villains and stuff. Um, I do like the fact that like during that house sequence and stuff, he just runs. He doesn't fight. He's constantly like nervous and stuff. And then you know he kind of hides and is like, I don't really know if I want to do this. And then after his uncle gets shot, he's like, No, I can do it. And then everybody's like, Miles, you screwed up the first time. You're gonna have to sit this one out. And you know he kind of like sits there and reflects. And it takes his dad finally coming and being like, You know, Miles. I don't want us to grow apart like me and your uncle. I want us to stay close together. You're a special kid. There's a spark in you and all that. And that's kind of like, it's cliche that it takes one character to hype up another character. But I thought this movie was sweet in the way it did it because Miles does actually take the time to think about it and reflect unlike some movies that come out nowadays where the character just immediately jumps into it. Because like, yeah. he has that moment where he takes the leap of faith off the building yeah. and it has that beautiful shot and stuff. The glass breaks when he does it because yeah. he's still hesitant. Like, he doesn't want to... Uh, but he still does it because he know he he knows he has to, and he's finally like, uh, I am Spider Man at yeah. this point because he has to be because they lost their Spider Man. Yeah, and just him coming out of his shell at the ending and finally confronting Kingpin and being his own hero and stuff. Yeah, great because it's a great arc going from a kid that was afraid of the expectations he had to live up to and stuff to now accepting the fact that hey I can do it as long as I got confidence in myself and everybody you know relies on me believes in me think that's great um so peter b parker i do want to talk about this character for a little bit because it's interesting because the movie starts off with the main peter parker miles's universe and miles looks up to him and stuff and he's kind of like i want to be like this guy and then he ends up getting killed and then this peter b parker comes in yeah peter b parker comes in he realizes like his counterpart has been killed and he doesn't really seem to care at first. He's just kind of like, I just want out of this universe. I need to create that quantum generator and get out. There, and like All of the people from different universes are glitching. Yeah, and he's glitching too, but he doesn't seem to like care way too much about getting back because he's just laid back because Mary Jane doesn't want him and stuff. He doesn't want to teach Peter. But yeah. I like the way this movie builds the bond between the two because... You know, Miles is constantly like, how do I do this? Spider-Man's good at doing this. He's like, all right, you do this, kid. Just follow my rules and stuff. And, like, even Miles at times teaches him how to be a better person, how to be a more confident Spider-Man and all that. And, like, the movie is just so good at getting that message across. And I could not believe the fact that Peter B. Parker does grow in this movie because I thought he was going to stay a grump the entire film. Yeah. And then, like, at the ending, he's, like, just last minute, is like, oh, thanks for helping me, kid. But he actually, like, grows in this movie. He's going to sacrifice himself and stay and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um. We forgot to mention the Stan Lee cameo. That'll come later because okay. I do want to talk about some of the other characters. Right. But like the in, like the cop, or I guess the dad of Miles. Dad cop. Yeah, dad cop. Basically, 
this character I didn't think was going to be that great because he just seemed like comedic relief at first, but, like, the way that he's integral to his life and stuff and how he's afraid of, like, yeah. his dad finding out what he is and he constantly doesn't want to be, like, you know, a disappointment to his dad and stuff is great. And that moment where his dad finally does come out of his shell and finally is like, you know, Miles, the reason that I'm tough on you is because you're not like the other kids. I want you to be, you know, yourself and all that, but I also think there's a spark in you. He doesn't and, want him to be his uncle. Yeah, and he just wants him to be great. And even Uncle Aaron, who, you know, you could say is, like, a bad influence for him, is also a great guy because he's teaching him, like, you know, there's a way that you can be a hero and express yourself because he, like, yeah. shows him the place he can make his art he, and stuff. He wants him to be artistic. Yeah. But he also wants him to, like, continue, like, with his, like, schooling and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just great the fact that this movie has all of these characters that are there to influence Miles and build around him. But for every superhero movie, there has to be good supervillains. So, Lee Schreiber is Fisk. Well, his yeah. motivation, I was kind of like, all right, I'm kind of... I want my wife and yeah, son back. Yeah, I want my wife daughter. and son back and daughter, and I'm going to bring as many duplicates of them back as I can. Which, yeah. you know, part of me thinks, does he not realize that this is never going to work? I think that he's great kind of as a villain because, like, yeah. he's huge... And he fits into things that no huge man like that should. <laughs> yeah, it's like clown car shit. Yeah, at that point. like he he comes out of like a very tiny black car and he's a huge dude and all that. And like people a basic have, SUV. yeah, some people have a problem with that for some reason. Like it's animation. It's a comic book. Yeah, it's yeah. literally you can get away with anything in animation. See, like that's why this movie is really good because they could not have done this uh, in. Um, like regular like live action they this could had, but it would have to be bigger everything basically. yeah they had to have made this um <clears throat> animated because it just works so well yeah and i like leaf schreiber because like i said his motivation of bringing his wife and son back is nice but it does at times make me think does this guy not realize it would never work because even like Liv points out the fact that oh they're glitching and they're gonna die soon if they don't return back so this is almost kind of like a scary thought. Is he just going to keep bringing them back until they die and he gets a new family and all that, and he just does that repeatedly? Like, that's a scary I, thought in a way. I guess. Oh, we should mention, this is um, Lee Freeber's second comic book role? Yes, because he played Sabretooth. Sabretooth. Yeah. <laughs> Which... And now, see, he wasn't terrible as Sabretooth, but he wasn't He wasn't either. put in a very good movie, mm -mm. though. <laughs> yeah, and then... Um, Catherine Hahn as Liv Octavius. This is the character that's going to turn a lot of people off because when you think Otto Octavius, you think of, like, a basically a middle-aged scientist basically with four yeah. mechanical arms welded on. But, like, I kind of like her in a way. Yeah. She's a pretty fun villain, but, like, I do understand why some people yearn for, like, Doc Ock. Like, oh, yeah. don't get me wrong. Doc Ock is a great villain and all that, and it does kind of suck he didn't get a chance here, but I thought that Liv was pretty decent. Like, she's the more wise-cracking version of Otto Octavius, and I like yeah. that and stuff. And I just think it's really fun that they had this villain to kind of play off of Leif Schreiber's Fisk, because she's like, she doesn't exactly care too much about the fact that, like, Fisk is getting the family. She's like, my experiment worked, and I can just roll with this. See, I don't think her, um, thing is that she's necessarily, um, evil evil, but, like, because when she sees Peter B. Parker, she's like, oh, interesting. Yeah. That she wants, like, she, he, she puts, like, the cuffs on him and, like, wants him to, um, stay down. Meanwhile... Um, he's, like, trying to get Miles to sign to the computer, and then they just steal it. Yeah. They just steal the whole computer. 
and yeah, what I like about this movie, not only with the characters and animation and all that and the soundtrack, is the fact that the action is actually pretty good and it's very oh, yeah. comic book style because when like they're punching people, it makes like the bam and the, the pow yeah. and stuff like that, and it's great. And like that sequence where they're all battling over the collider and all the colors and stuff and oh, action's yeah. going by, that's fantastic. I that's love that. So awesome. uh, there's a lot of great moments in this movie that have been memed to death, like Not Bad Kid when he drops Peter B. Barker back into the uh, quantum oh, generator thing yeah. and stuff. Like, uh, when like he's that eating is great. The pizza. Yeah, like that's great. The way that they have the comedic moments kind of intertwined into these serious sequences uh-huh. and stuff. Um, the final confrontation between Miles Morales and Fisk is great because oh, yeah. you see him finally get it, up. It's like the colors in the background. It's like red into black, and yeah. it's, that's one moment where color really plays really well into mm-hmm. a movie. Um, and again, I don't think that could have been done well enough in live action. That has that has to be. Um, in a in a cartoon like animation style, because that's just how it um it is. It's a it's a comic book. <laughs> I know. Um, I also do like you said the theme, great powers, great expectations. I also like the theme that they have for Spider-Man as a character. That no matter how many punches he takes, he always gets back up because he oh, yeah. loves being Spider-Man. Because he loves saving the city, helping people out. Like Spider-Man lives to help others, yes. and I think that's great. That the theme is that Spider-Man can get punched, he can get knocked down a bunch, and like Miles gets knocked down and he's afraid to get back up and stuff. He doesn't have the strength to get back up as everybody's beating on him. And then it takes at the ending for his dad, the one person he was afraid of the entire film, Come to be on, like, Spider-Man, yeah, let's go. yeah. Get up, Spider-Man. And then he gets himself up, and he finally, like, confronts... Yeah, and another complaint that I guess I want to point out before I get into why it's so great is people say he should have died from that punch. Yeah, I can see why, but, like, it's Um, a Spider-Man. It's just... It's kind of funny how uh, they bring the shoulder touch back. Yeah, that's... (laughs) Because when he gets back up... His uncle Aaron's like, just just do the shoulder touch. And he's like, what? And he's like, hey. And he's like... uh, He's talking to... um, Fisk or Frisk or whatever his name was. He and he's like, You've heard of the shoulder touch? And he's like, What? And he's like, Hey. <laughs> it's like, that's funny. <laughs> well, for the most part, what I like is when he finally gets back up and does the shoulder touch on Fisk, all of the animation and colors shoot Fisk into the collider thing and explodes, and then at the ending, Miles strings him up and says, From your family uh, fam- uh, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Yeah. That's great. I love that because that's just a it's a Spider-Man thing that he'd do and it finally shows yep. that the movie's not afraid to hold back and all that. It's just wonderful. See, um back to the Chris Pine Spider-Man. I don't think he would have been a great teacher for Miles because he was too like up uh, upbeat like, "Yeah, come on, man, you can you can do it. I'm going to teach you everything." And then he dies and it's like, "Oh crap, Spider-Man's dead." And then Peter B. Parker comes and he's like, "Hey, I'll teach you stuff, but I'm also not going to enjoy it. <laughs> I think he would have been a good teacher, but just the overconfidence is what I yeah. fear for Miles, because with Peter B. Parker, he's very cynical, so he's good at pointing out the bad of being, like, too, you know, worthy yeah, like, and all that. He's, yeah, he's, like, lonely and yeah. fat and everything. <laughs> and I like that. Now, to get into the Stanley cameo, like you said, this was one of Stanley's last cameos, like, yeah. Endgame was his last one, obviously, but this is a nice cameo. And I guess you should describe it because you really thought, like, got emotional with this cameo. I got emotional throughout the whole movie. Yeah, but... <laughs> um, basically, uh, Miles walks in to buy a Spider-Man suit. Because uh, he's like, well, I have to do this. And he's like, um, oh, I, I hope it fits. And Stanley's like, well, it always fits. Like, jokingly. And then he, like, look, he kind of like nods his head over to the sign and says, no returns or something. Uh, and I think that's a pretty... Because he also kind of, like, mentions how... Uh, doesn't he say something about how he loved Spider-Man as a son or something? No, he just... He goes, I'm going to really miss him, you know? Yeah. And, like... And, like, 
that's a great thing, because everyone misses Stan Lee. Like, he was the, he's the reason we have the MCU. And we're not going to be able to see him in any more movies uh, after this. Well, unless you watch the old ones. But, like, it's it's a, it's kind of a, um, a sad scene, because it's like, oh, Stan Lee uh, says he's going to miss him, and then look what happened. So it's a pretty good cameo. Um, I also like the fact that, like, this is off-topic, but he also got a cameo in the Spider-Man PS4 game and all that, and, like, oh, yeah. it's just great that Stanley has left a legacy on pretty much every property. It's just wonderful to see this guy have a moment in this movie, because Venom's cameo is pretty bad for him. Yeah. I was like, this is a waste of Stanley, which, when you watch Venom, you'll understand why the cameo is not that great. <laughs> Hopefully not soon. Um, um, uh, should mention, no J. Jonah Jameson. That's kind of fine. That's fine, like yeah, because he—I don't think he would have fit well with the Miles Morales. He probably would have been Spider-Man. a fine addition, but it's just like, can you get J.K. Simmons to come back? And well, that'd be did. the biggest. They did for the MCU, <laughs> but they probably threw all the money in the world at him for that. Let's be yeah. honest. Uh, and this is uh, Sony, th- so I don't think they really care about that. I think they just wanted to get a good movie out because, again, I think uh, I'm—I I know I'm kind of beating a dead horse by saying this animation is important for this movie. I know. And Sony, I think, really nailed it. So I, I would not have expected that from Sony. I know. So, um, I guess my only complaint with the movie, and this is what I... What? One last thing. We forgot to mention the end credits. Oh, you mean the little... It's a Spider-Man 2099 Yeah, cameo. And like... Where he's like, uh, okay, let's do this one last time. Um, and then it just shows him like talking to his, like, futuristic, kind of, almost kind of like a Jarvis type thing. Yeah. Um, and then he teleports to the 60s Spider-Man cartoon, mm-hmm. uh, and they're both, like, uh, pointing at each other and being like, uh, uh, don't point at me, and stuff like that. <laughs> that was a pretty good cameo. And that means that there's gonna, can't, can yeah, there's, that means there's also gonna be, like, a, um, a sequel. I think they also did a thing where, at the end of the movie, Miles is laying in bed, and then the portal appears, and they're like, oh, hey, Miles, or something like that so I can't I actually really am excited for the sequel my biggest well that's actually where my complaints start to come in like yeah so I really don't want a sequel for this movie mainly because I think it is good on its own as a as just basically a good spider-man piece of media because I saw the Lego movie 2 this year this was not made by Phil Lord and Chris Miller and Phil Lord and Chris Miller rarely do sequels they usually do one film and then are done the Lego movie 2 is an okay film it I wasn't as funny it. as the first, and it wasn't that great. And the reason I don't think it was that great is because Phil Lord and Chris Miller were not big into the production of this movie. And, like, yeah. Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2 is not that great either. Why? Because Phil Lord and Chris Miller aren't big into that. 22 Jump Street was okay, I guess. I wasn't a big fan of it as the first one. But, like, Phil Lord and Chris Miller weren't, like, huge in that movie either. So, I think the issue here is that I feel like the next Spider-Verse movie that comes out after this masterpiece of a film almost, well, not total masterpiece, but you it's get what really I'm saying. Good, it's really good, I just feel like it's not going to be that great. I feel like it might be a huge letdown compared to Spider-Verse that came out this uh, last year. So If they put love into it, it which... just It seems like Phil Lord and Chris Miller are the golden ticket to most of these animated films. They know yeah. how to make appreciation for characters and stuff. And I think my biggest issue is they leave the door open for a sequel when I almost think that it's better off for this movie to just be its own Spider-Man thing. Yes... But I, I, I personally would love to see a sequel because I would like to see more Spider-Man aspects introduced. Like, uh, more Spider-Man, like the 2099 Spider-Man and, um, what even other Spider-Man are there? Uh, but you know what I'm getting at. 
Um, I, I personally really think that would be cool. And then more, even more villains. Like, villains that we don't see that often in Spider-Man movies. Like, um, I, I guess the lizard? He's not really been in anything except for the, amazing the Spider-Man. first Spider-Man movie. The first Amazing Spider-Man movie. And I was like, okay, that's it's an okay for, movie for him to first appear in, appear in but... You know, those two movies weren't that good. I usually don't like it when movies do sequel baits at the ending because I'm just kind of like, you know, why bother trying to set up a sequel when maybe people don't want one? And my biggest gripe is that while the movie does wrap up everything nicely, then you leave that little bow at the end that's like, oh no, there could possibly be a sequel to Unravel. I'm like, oh, don't do that. And like, I guess another complaint I have was kind of with Fisk's motivation of like bringing his family back and stuff because he knows for a fact that when they come back because, you know, they obviously are dying and stuff and need to go yeah. back, does he not realize that no matter how many families he brings, it's never going to be permanent and they're just going to hate living there? Because, yeah. like, even when he's battling him in the subway train and they pop up and they're like, oh my goodness, and, like, all of those different families kind of see him and stuff, he's like, well, I'm still not a monster. I'm still going to get him back. Like, why does he not realize in that moment, yeah. I'm a monster, I'm never going to change, I can't bring this on them? And they're going to be glitching the whole time. I know, and that's like my main complaint is with Fisk and the sequel setup. I just think that those are two things in general that could have been done a whole lot better. Like, if Fisk at the ending was just kind of like, you know what, I realize I'm a monster and I should just give up with this whole thing, and like, maybe he destroys the collider and turns himself in, or like, Spider-Man convinces him to turn himself in, would have made the movie more impactful to me, to just see that growth for even Fisk as a villain. Just, that's something that I felt like could have been done a little bit better, and like I said, I wasn't a big thing of the sequel and all that, so I guess you... I uh, I already s- I kind of explained that I I, I wouldn't mind a sequel, um, because it, again it would mean more really good animation hopefully. Yeah. And if um the the two directors if they come back, that's gonna be awesome. And you said they're not really big on sequels, mm-hmm. so maybe they won't. But maybe they'll get someone else who can put a lot of love and care into it. Yeah, that's probably what will happen. But. Uh, anyways, to give my synopsis, love this. This is my favorite out of any Spider-Man movie ever that has come out. Great animation, great characters, great voice acting, great music, great action, just great everything. Uh, like I said, Fist could have been done a lot better, and the whole sequelitis thing at the ending I really don't think was needed for a movie like this. So I guess my final rating will be a 9 out of 10. I think it was originally like a 9.5, but that's kind of dumb to do .5s, like I said. So, just a 9 out of 10. Um... I, I really love this movie. I'm I'm a big fan of animation. Um, the I, again I like the soundtrack. M- the complaints I had for it were minor. Um, I think I had originally given it a uh, really too high rating. I think I gave it a ten out of ten initially, which is fair for fair if I didn't have any complaints. But again, it's a really good movie. There were a few things I didn't like about it, so I'm gonna go and say that my final rating is a nine out of ten. Uh, that's really all I have to say. I don't know if you have uh, anything else. No, I don't really have anything to say. Um, so for the next Rewind Replay, I'm not sure what the future will be because uh, college is starting up, of course, and that's going to be time for me where I am just studying out the butt, basically, and I don't know how many more podcasts I'm going to be able to do, like, weekly and stuff. So kind of slow down from here, but I think the plans are you want to come back and do a Halloween franchise yeah. podcast for I Halloween. I want to do um, one for... All of the Halloween movies are obviously around Halloween, um, which you personally don't uh, want to do because I don't, you I, don't want to watch all the movies. Yeah, but I may just do like the first two and then the remake, and you can then talk about the rest see, of them. <laughs> I think you should watch them just because just to see how dumb they get. I don't know. It's... Um, and other than that, I might I might uh, hit you up to do a few other ones like uh, 
Fight Club. I don't know if you'd want to do that. Oh, but, yeah, it's been a while. Uh, that's a really good movie. Um, Forrest Gump, maybe? Yeah, maybe, maybe. That's a good one to like. These are all maybes. Yeah. The Halloween ones I'm pretty set on if Hayden wants to. But the rest, that's it's all up to uh, whether or not he has the time and... Uh, wants to do it. <laughs> um, I'm probably, for the future of Rewind Replay, just going to do suggestions or anything anybody else wants. I do, at some point, want to do a Rewind Replay on all of the Star Wars movies, but i got to find someone that's willing to rewatch all the Star Wars movies, so that's just me. I'll do it. Oh, yeah, sure you will. Anyways, but that's pretty much it for Rewind Replay. I guess we'll yep. see you next time. There'll probably be another review coming out for, like, Blinded by the Light and stuff like that later, but anyways, Scary thank you. Scary stories to tell in the dark. Yeah, that too. Anyways, thank you guys for listening. See you next time.